This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, good morning from California and uh, afternoon New York, right? Yep, it's a little after one here. Hello. Hello. So what is going on in your world right now? Anything new? It, it, we're going to be posting this show in January, but we w- did want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing, Heidi, as far as workshops or what you're planning on so people know. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally unprepared for that question. Just because, you know, I spoke 24 times this year. I mean, I have a lot of stuff going right. on, but I'm trying to wrap my arms around the next thing. And like you said, we're doing all these public access television shows monthly right now, which I would totally tell people to go on our site to look at them because we've downloaded all of them and there are links on the show. And we also have, by the time the show airs, we'll have three new books out on ebooks. We'll have Spouse Loss, Signs and Connections, and Handling the First Year. We're also putting those on audio tape. So we hope you'll take a look at the site and look at those. And today we're going to talk about suicide support, and we've got a great guest today, don't we, Heidi? Yes, I was just on his website. For, the, for those of you listening, please go on it. His name is Carl David, and if you actually Google that name and you'll find his website... The reason I was so interested in him is because this guy is a renaissance man, and I know he's listening right now, but, you know, he, he uh, is an, uh, owns an art gallery, he knows all about art, and his, it's been in his family for four generations. He plays the guitar, he plays the, p- the keyboards, he has music that he's written and composed on there, I mean, and he has survived a suicide loss, and that's why we're having him on the today. And the common theme, Mom, before I really introduce him, that really runs through his website is that Carl is an extremely positive person despite all the adversity he's had. And um, like I said, he's a third descendant of a four-generation art dealer family specializing in American and European 19th and 20th century art. He's also the author of Bader. Is it Baderfield or Batterfield? Baderfield, How My Family Survived Suicide, the story of how his family lived through his brother's shocking death by suicide when Carl was just 16 years old, and his father also died around that same time, so he lost his father and his brother, and we will be talking to him about how he survived this and how he has gone on to thrive in his life, and it is his hope that others will benefit from his story. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. I really appreciate uh, being on your show. It's so great to have you on, Carl. Your book, you're a good writer, too. My goodness. Oh, thank uh, you. you do a lot of things. I really enjoyed reading your book and hearing about your dad and your family and what a wonderful family history. And what a tragedy uh, for a family. I was thinking of your family being into the artists and, and looking into that kind of life and, and then having this kind of event happen. I, I wondered how having your brother kill himself, Bruce, right? And he also hung himself in the gallery. Right. Uh, how did that impact your whole family with this artistic background? Oh, it was really bizarre. I mean, the, just the fact that the loss was devastating and shocking because there was no uh, foretelling of it. 
And, you know, it took my father a long time to be able to get back into the gallery. Uh, he was the one who found him, and it just, oh my it just leaves such a scar, you know. It just, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately, that's what killed him. He lived for eight years afterward, but I can't even imagine um, losing a, a child. It's, it's the worst thing in, in, in you know, conceivable um, event. I mean, it's just horrible. And, and how old yeah. was your brother when he died, Carl? He was 22. I was 16. He was 22 and you were 16, and your dad died how long after that? Eight years, you said? Eight, eight years, yeah. He was only 58 when he died. Wow. So you had lost, you lost your brother and your father within an eight-year eight period, both suddenly? Yep. Mm-hmm. Both unexpectedly. And one of the things that came up for me when I was reading the book was how, and I think Heidi can testify to this too, how when there is a death of a sibling or whatever, sometimes the other sibling ends up supporting the parents. And I know after your dad's mm-hmm. death, you really were an adult then and married, but wondering how you could come in and support your mother. So I would guess from that that you probably did the same thing after your brother died. We did. My, I have another brother, an old, old, eldest brother, and, you know, the two of us kind of pulled together and realized that we had to be there for our parents, and our parents realized that they had to be here for us. And, you know, one day they even said, you know, we, we've got to get back to life. We've got two other children. Um, because they had kind of lost the will to live, you know, to that point. And um, how how long do you think that was after your brother died that they finally that they had that turning point? Months. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it, the, the scar never goes away. Um, you don't ever get over it. You can only learn to live with it as best you can, and you know, with professional help and with the closeness of our family and friends, you know, we survived it as best we could. Because life does go, it goes on, you know, with you or without you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It does go on. There's, you know, you really almost have to go on with it. But also, I think there's some transformational power of it. I mean, the fact that you wrote this book, the fact that you're willing to talk about it, I would guess, even though you're in a public business of selling art, you were probably a pretty private family. We were. And, you know, this is something that back in the 1960s when this happened, it happened in 1965. Um, the stigma of shame that was attached to it was something we had to live with, and, and nobody talked about it. I mean, it, you know, you could hear the whispers. I could hear them in the hallways of the school when I finally went back to school after a couple of weeks. Like, you know, he's the one whose brother killed himself. You can see, you can see the, the look in the eyes, you know, whether I imagined it or whether it was real. To me, it was real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, uh, that, that was something we had to learn to live with as well, and, and you just kind of didn't talk about it until somebody you knew had gone through the same kind of experience or just until you could not contain it anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you do music and you're in the art business too. Now, did you bring up any new skills or any new things that helped you as music helped you to deal with it? Um, It has. And my writing has as well. You know, it's funny when I was in high school, I couldn't put a composition together to save my life. My father used to sit up with me at night trying to show me how to do it and teach me. And I just, I didn't get it, you know, and this was after Bruce, and I guess I just didn't really care. Um, but when I got to college, I had a real grudge against the, the food and, the, the you know, the quality of it. And I really, I wrote a scathing article for the newspaper at Oglethorpe College. <laughs> which, <laughs> and that was the beginning of my writing career. I mean, they, they published it, but they wouldn't put my name on it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I realized that I, I had this skill to write. I just had to have something to write about. And you're willing to touch the passion. Yeah, yeah. My first book was Collecting and Care of Fine Art because I was so upset about the hype in the art market 
and people getting an uneven playing field, I said to my brother one day, you know what, I'm going to write a book. We give these lectures and seminars. I'm going to put this in the writing so it'll help people. And, and that really was my first major oeuvre, if you will, and Crown published it for me in New York. And then I started to write this other book, you know, How My Family Survived Suicide, which I initially wrote as homage to my dad, so my kids who weren't born yet would know the greatness of this guy. He was my hero. You know, it took me a lot of decades to write the book because I had to go back and relive all this, this pain. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so descriptive. I love the book, Batterfield, How, How Did My Family Survive Suicide. I, it is so rich. Oh, I would suggest you. that people get it out there. It's delightful, too. Yeah. And you're talking about your dad's plane. I got such a kick out of that, the color and, you know, <laughs> how he loved that plane. He was a Renaissance man. He really was. He was incredible. Music, language, arts, you know, uh, passions for everything he did. And I guess I didn't fall too far from the tree. Or didn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> well, now tell me, how did your family survive suicide, and what would you recommend to other people? And you've seen some change now, and, and what are the hardest things? Well, um, the hardest thing is just to endure the blackness that falls over you, and finding a way to claw your way back up to light. Um, you know, we pulled together as a family. We could have pulled each other apart. We didn't. We, we stayed together. We had professional help. Um, there was... Uh, uh, spiritual help and I was fortunate enough to be able to go through an analysis which basically saved my life because I had suppressed this for so long in my college years and afterward that I just I I kind of imploded and my parents knew it so they got me the help that I needed and you know professionally with psychiatric help which is something I, I attribute to our survival I don't know how anybody can do it without it this is just too big a beast to handle on one's own strength because you can't. It's just too much. It's something that a lot of people go through. A million people a year take their life worldwide, and the number's growing, and it's not the 60s anymore. People talk about it, and the only way to mm-hmm. combat this act is to expose it, you know, and let mm-hmm. people know that there's help out there for them, that whatever seems to be the end of the world, it's not. Tomorrow's going to be a better day, or if not tomorrow, then the day after. There's help out there for people. They're loved, and they're not alone, and that's important for them to know. Carl, I love that you're saying this. Everything you're saying is so grounded in the research because this weekend in the New York Times, I don't know if you saw it, but it's talking about, and maybe it was just the New York City, New York Times, I'm not sure, but I think it was the New York, New York Times. On the New York Times, it was talking about how the NYPD, there's 300 people that in the NYPD that are trained to go out with people that are about to jump off the bridges and to get them to get to you know come down from the bridge and they're saying exactly what you're saying think about your family think about you know there's people out there that love you there is hope tomorrow will be a brighter day exactly what you're saying is helping right. people to, to to say okay wait a minute maybe i need to give it another hour or another day so right. um, if you can talk to someone for 10 minutes it's that 10 minute window is critical you know you can change yeah, their mind you're you're, t- you're taking the stigma out of all this and you're you're talking about it and it's so so important like you said it is one thing i want to catch with you carl is this i think it's important for people out there to know that it's not too late to get help you had it happen to you when you were 14 mm-hmm. you went through college college still not dealing with it right and then you imploded or in college right. i think that's an important key because it's never too late is it no um, it is not too late, and if you don't get the help, it will eat you up from the inside out. You know, it'll it'll create a warp in your personality, and your life will never be successful carrying this thing inside you. 
um, you know, it's almost like a cancer. You've got to let it out, you know, so that you can get rid of it. Now, what do you what do you think that it, it is inside? Do you think it is, is it anger, guilt? What what do you hold? I think it's a combination of things. I think initially it's anger, then there's this terrible sadness, and then there's this wonder. Could you have done something? Should you have seen something? Did you miss something along the way? And, you know, so there's an aspect of feeling responsible. Um, and you've got to deal with those things because it's, you really don't own any of them. Um, these are just emotions that you have to learn to deal with and, and just let them pass through you. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's terribly important. I think. That, and and um, did you feel like when your dad died, it brought back other feelings about your brother's death as well? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, it was a sudden death. My father, um, obviously, it, it it destroyed him from the inside out. I mean, he managed to come back to life, but I think the damage was done. And, um, you know, he just finally succumbed to it, not voluntarily, but... I was thinking your father had a big heart and it broke, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, a huge heart. From, from reading about him in the book, he was such a an incredible person yeah he was amazing yeah he really was he was a giver from you know from beginning to end and, and people have said well you know he only lived 58 years but those years were fiery and i would not trade those 58 years for 78 or 88 or 98 of a, a more mundane life you know um mm-hmm. he crammed a lifetime into those 58 years it is a shame right. that he didn't have more now i wanted to ask you also how did you br- how does your brother feel about your book um he was very proud, very impressed, and, and uh, my mother as well. My dad didn't see it, but my mom did, and, uh, you know, this is, this is my way of, of taking the darkest days of my life and paying them forward by doing something to benefit somebody else, and hopefully, I kind of feel like Schindler, I could, if I could have saved one more, you know, um, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. It's, I would uh-huh. love for this to be in high schools across the country, made as mandatory reading so that somebody who might be thinking about it would see what it does to their family and their friends. Um, you know, because of the million people who take their life, five million are left to mourn them. And that right, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Carl, what are, what are the few things, I mean, you're, you're such a positive person and you found hope again. And for those out there that are struggling with a loss that has kicked them to the ground and they do not know how they're going to survive or if they want to, what kind of things would you tell them at this point in order to get to start getting on the track of, of where you are today? What can they do? Well, I, I can tell you that we do survive, uh, but mm-hmm. we can't do it alone. You know, there's, there's help out there, and go talk to somebody. Uh, don't keep this festering inside yourself. I mean, uh, find a bartender, a, a priest, a rabbi, uh, you know, a, anybody, a doctor. Uh, call 911 if you're feeling despondent and you feel like you're not going to be able to get through this. So just talk to somebody. There are so many people out there today who are familiar with this and who will listen gladly, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but just, you know, share it. Don't keep these feelings inside, but do know that we go on and we live and um, those who are going And we are us, happy, right? Right, right. I mean, and happiness is there for all of us. You know, and this life is, is exciting. Life is great. It's a great journey. And, you know, we don't really have the right to throw it away. Um, it's a gift. And every day you get up right. is a gift. So it's, it's to be enjoyed and, and maximized, you know. Do you think that you have some strengths that you wouldn't have had without these losses? I know that's yeah. a tough, a tough no, question. What do you I, think I they do. are? I do. I think I've got fortitude. Um, I feel like I can almost push through anything. And I've been through horrible adversity, and I've survived it. And I think what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I've, I've seen with you is you really appreciate not only your life, but you appreciate 
the years that you had on the earth with your brother and your father, even though I they do. were limited? They were brief, but they were fabulous. And, uh, you know, that's something I have, and I'll have those memories the rest of my life. Nobody can take those from me. Nothing. Not even death can take that from me. And, you know, I'm one of these people that knows that life goes on on the other side. I mean, spirit does not die. You can't kill spirit. It just, you can't. So it doesn't end here, but the physical part might, but not the, not the emotional or the spirit. Well, Carl, thank you so much. I want to end the show on that, Heidi, because that is such an amazing thought, isn't it? Absolutely. I love Carl's attitude and the way that he looks at life. And, you know, the reality is sometimes we can't, we cannot control what happens around us. The only thing we have control over is the way that we respond and our attitude. And Carl is such a positive person despite his adversity. Thank you so much, Carl. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And I, again, my condolences for your loss. I know you've gone through this. So, um, you know, I just, you got to stay strong. Well, it's a beautiful thing to meet people like you on this journey, too. It's, it's, oh, I, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it, it's been a wonderful pleasure. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, Heidi, what a great show. Isn't Carl wonderful? Absolutely. He, he really is. I really enjoyed the show. And like I said, please visit his website because there's so many little pearls of wisdom on his site and, and in his book. Absolutely. Have you got his website, Hi, Carl David, I forgot to ask him. He's still hanging around. Carl, yeah, what's your website? It's carledavid.com, C-A-R-L-E-D-A-V-I-D.com. Okay, thanks, Carl. Well, tune in again again next week and listen to Open to Hope, and please visit us on our website, opentohope.com, and listen to our radio shows and watch our new public access TV show. Tune in again next week. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.